You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. I tell you what, if there was one movie that I could say was my absolute favorite movie of the 80s, I mean, maybe even my favorite movie of all time, that movie that is my go-to when I'm sad, that movie that is the only movie that I want to watch most of the time when you say, hey, let's watch a movie, I'm going to have to tell you that that movie is Empire Strikes Back. Just hands down, flat out, uh, that's not what we're talking about today, but that's, that's that movie. But if, if, if I told you that there was a movie that every time I walked by the television and I saw it, it was on, I would stop and sit and watch, that when I heard somebody start talking about it, I would start quoting lines, that when I heard somebody say even a simple character from the movie, that I would just get excited and start spouting, that's probably still Empire Strikes Back. But in a very close second, it's the Goonies. Man, I love the Goonies. It was my, the movie of my childhood. Uh, for those of you that are, are new to Venture today or hadn't been for the last couple of weeks, right now we're in this series called uh, Throwback, where we're taking 80s movies and using them as a platform to dive into the Bible. Uh, Chris, the pastor here at Venture, the last couple of weeks has been preaching. Uh, he's on vacation this week, and that's cool. He can go do that, because uh, it means I get to speak to you guys, and I'm excited. But uh, Chris, the last two weeks, has talked about uh, Back to the Future and how God can redeem our past, and we don't have to live in that. We can keep going forward. And then he talked about uh, the Princess Bride last week and Inigo Montoya and how if we hold on to all of the anger and frustration that happens in this world, that uh, it'll be bad and that we need to, we need to forgive um, and what that meant to forgive. But man, the Goonies, that's what I get to talk to you today about is the Goonies. Uh, and I got to tell you guys, the Goonies are good enough for, for you and they're good enough for me. They're good enough. Anybody got Cindy Lauper running through their head? Uh, the, for those of you that don't understand that, let me explain to you what the movie The Goonies was about because you've obviously never seen it. Um, Goonies was one of those adventure movies. It was written by Chris Columbus, not the guy that sailed the ocean blue in 1492, but the, the actor, director, writer. Um, I would tell you other things they did, but I forgot to memorize that list. Um, but Chris Columbus uh, did that, and it was directed by Richard Donner, who's also a famous director, and it was produced by Steven Spielberg, which was another big name, especially in the 80s. And, and so it's all this epic th- stuff coming together, a perfect storm to make a kid's adventure movie. Uh, it starts out in the small town of Astoria, um, Oregon, Georgia. Astoria, Oregon, uh, over on the, the West Coast. And it's kind of a sad story to begin with because the local country club is buying out the neighborhood that these kids live in that they have lovingly dubbed the Goondocks. And they're sad because they've only got until 5 o'clock the next day to come up with I think the number is 400 of his dad's paychecks to save their house. I don't know how they got in this trouble. I, I don't know what happened that they, the country club had leverage to kick them all out of their homes. What kind of, I mean, because this guy was a museum curator, but whatever. Uh, that's the plot of the story. They're, they're trying to save their houses because they don't want to leave. They love their neighborhood. They love where they live. They love their friends. Uh, one kid says, hey, have you ever heard of Detroit? Because that's where I'm moving. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't want to move to Detroit either. Sorry if there's anybody from there here. Um, it just doesn't sound fun. So they're trying to save everything. And as it happens in these kids' adventure movies, they wander upstairs into the attic and accidentally find a treasure map 
for pirate treasure that was supposedly buried right off the coast of Astoria 300 years prior by the dread pirate, One-Eyed Willie. And so these goonies do what they have to do, what only makes sense to do. Even though people have had this pirate, ship, uh, pirate treasure map for hundreds of years that it's been displayed in the museum and now it's not even important enough to do that, they said, oh, we can find the treasure, let's go do that. Why not? Because Goonies never say die, right? Well, to make this story just a little bit spicier, to make it a little bit more intriguing, a little bit uh, more dangerous, the spot that the treasure map points to that is the beginning of the hunt for the treasure, the first place that they have to go is the hideout of the notorious Fratelli gang. It's a mom and her two boys that are counterfeit $50 bill makers and murderers and jail escape artists. And that's all in the first 10 minutes of the movie. These people are bad news. And they find out what the kids are doing after they sneak down through the basement of the, the hideout and they start to chase them on this adventure. Doesn't that sound amazing? Doesn't that sound like something that would be just fun to do? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a Goonie. I wanted to go on an adventure like this. I wanted to have that moment where I got to find the treasure map and go searching for pirate treasure with bad guys chasing me after me. And by the end of it, I've beaten the bad guys, gotten the treasure, kissed the girl, and it was all wonderful. And it never happened. I don't know why. I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know if I didn't pray hard enough. I don't know if I just didn't have the right friends or live in the right neighborhood. My neighborhood's never had nicknames. Um, maybe that was part of it. But I never got to go on one of these grand adventures. And as I sat down and started writing this sermon this week and started figuring out what I was going to teach about from this 80s movie that I could use to get us to a, a biblical truth, I started thinking about that adventure and about my life. And, and I realized something that's a little cliche. It's a little pedantic, maybe. It's, it's a little simple, but it works for me, so we're going to use it. And that is that we're actually, all of us right now, on an adventure. It's the adventure of life. It's the adventure of our, our spiritual walk from infancy to maturity. It's the adventure of the daily grind. And, and we're on that adventure together. And that's where I want to plant our feet as we prepare to dive in. That's where I want us to go. If we're on an adventure, what does that look like? If we're on an adventure, what does that mean is happening around us? If we're on an adventure, what things do we need to expect to happen? Because I think that even though you might not realize it, there's a whole lot more in common with us and the Goonies than is on the surface. There's a whole lot more things that are going on with them that we can see happen over and over in our lives. Remember I told you about the Fratellis and how they were chasing them down? Well, I, I didn't mention that not only were there the Fratellis chasing them, but One-Eyed Willie, the pirate, had also set up a bunch of booty traps. Booby traps. That's what I said, booby traps. <laughs> a couple of you got that because it's... You watch the movie. Man, I, I gotta tell you, I, I'm a big fan of malapropisms. That's when you use the wrong word to describe something, and that movie is chock full of them. Uh, I was dying laughing over and over because of the booty traps. Booby traps, there you go. Uh, 
But the kids were there. They were faced with these, these booby traps that were in front of them and these bad guys that were behind them, these, these obstacles, these hurdles, these things that were trying to stop them. There was everything from giant boulders hanging by 300-year-old hemp rope that stayed and fell and tried to crush them. There was floors that were held up by a piano that when you hit the wrong key, the floor would fall away and you would land on spikes at the bottom. There were water slides, because that's a good booby trap. Um, and there are all these things that these kids are going through and, and fighting against and trying to get through, and then guys with guns coming behind them. Do you ever have a day like that? Where you wake up in the morning, did anybody else's brain just go and an alarm goes out of warning? Because mine did, and I, that's 90s, it's not 80s. Uh, you wake up in the morning and you're already late for work, and you go to your car and you've got a flat tire. You get that fixed and you get in the car and you're out of gas. By the time you get to work, they've had a meeting that you missed, and since you weren't there, you were volunteered for the uh, thing nobody wants to do committee, and you're the chair, and nobody else is on the committee. And then as you go through your day, thing after thing happens, and you just feel beat down. You feel like the whole world is against you. You, you feel like no matter which way you look, everywhere you turn, the twin pitfalls of sin and temptation are pounding in on you. No, that's just me. I don't, I don't think it's just me. I think that's something that's common to us and common to man because the fact of the matter is we're on this adventure and the enemy doesn't want us to reach the goal. The enemy doesn't want us to succeed at this adventure and so he plants these things. He puts these booby traps around. He, he puts these bad guys chasing us down. He puts those thoughts in our brains to try and distract us, to do whatever he can to pull us away. I'm sure that's not just me. In fact, I'm so sure of it that I can show you that the Bible tells us that this is true, that this is going to happen. In um, Venture, here at Venture, we, we, we like to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And, and this is one of those questions that I think is worth asking. Why are there obstacles? Why are there things that are fighting against us? Why are there things that we've got to overcome to get through this adventure? Just this daily life adventure. Um, I keep feeling like I'm saying adventure, but I'm not. I'm saying adventure. Um, I'll tell you another story later. If, if, you, uh, if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2 or 3, and um, there's some Bibles on the floor under your chairs. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can grab one of those, take it home with you. Uh, there's some at the back of the coffee station that if you can't find one near you, um, but please, you know, get the word in your hand, take it home with you, enjoy it, uh, dig into it. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's going to be up on the screen, and it starts this way. It says, you, however, know my teaching, all my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance. This sounds good. It's like, you know all this about me. You know my persecutions and sufferings. What? Hold on. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? And the persecutions I endured. This is, this is the Apostle Paul talking, and he starts off very positive. You know all these good things about me, but you also know that it's not been an easy road. Now, the Apostle Paul is a guy in the scriptures that when we first meet him, he is a persecutor of the church. When we first meet Paul, he is against everything that's happening. He is uh, the, the worst guy. He is actually going out and finding Christians, dragging them out in the street, and beating them to death with rocks. That's who Paul was. 
Paul has a spiritual intervention. He meets Jesus as he's on the road to go and arrest more people and, and kill more people in the name of God. Jesus comes up and says, whoa, dude, don't do that anymore. And you would think that after Paul says, okay, no problem, I'm on your side, that things will get better for him. But Paul lives one of these lives as he's chasing after God that is just full of booty traps and bad guys. Check this out. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm just going to read this for you real quick. Uh, Paul lists all of the things that have happened to him up until this point. Uh, some of those other things that happened at Antioch and Iconium and, and Lystra. He says, this is chapter 11, uh, verse 23 and following of 2 Corinthians Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was once pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold, I have been naked, and besides everything else, I have daily the pressure of the concern for the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led to sin and I don't inwardly burn? This is Paul talking. This is Paul saying, these are the things, these are the persecutions, these are the trials, these are the booty traps that I have endured. That's what he was talking about when he's writing to Timothy. The things that happened at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Let's put that back up on the screen. I want you to see the end of this verse. It says, you know, however, the thing, all about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, my persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured. And here's the kicker. Here's the best part. Yet the Lord rescued me through all of them. The Lord rescued me through all of them. Paul says, yes, all this bad stuff happened. All these trials were there all these persecutions were there but the Lord rescued me through all of them and I'm so glad that he puts that there I'm so glad that that yet is there that he he lines it out and says God's going to save you God's going to rescue you because the next verse verse 12 goes on it says in fact everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted will be persecuted, not might be persecuted, not may be persecuted, not maybe sometime kind of once would be kind of ish. No, will be persecuted. Paul says there's not a doubt that there will be obstacles that you have to face on this journey. There will be obstacles that you have to overcome on this adventure. There will be things that you have to fight against to do the things that God wants you to do in your life. There will be persecutions. And that's kind of a a downer, but God will be with us. And that's good. I did want to leave you with a little bit of inspiration in this point. You know, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be booty traps. There's going to be bad guys chasing you down with guns, figuratively speaking. So I wanted to give you a, a quote of inspiration from 
an 80s action movie icon, a, a guy that you know has never been stopped by a persecution. Let's put that up on the screen. <laughs> Chuck Norris said this. He said, I have always found that anything worth achieving always has obstacles in the way. And you've got to have the drive and determination to overcome those obstacles en route to whatever it is that you want to accomplish. Now, I don't know how bad an obstacle would have to be to stop Chuck Norris, but there you go. The man himself tells you, obstacles are there if it's worth doing. And I think that's absolutely true of our Christian walk, of our adventure that we're on, that overcoming obstacles is part of the journey. So there's gonna be obstacles and God's gonna be with us there, but you can take heart because not only is God gonna be with us, we don't have to face these obstacles on our own. And I'm not talking about some grand spiritual helper that's gonna come and be there and lead us through, although that's completely true. It's just a sermon for another day. I'm talking about actual, tangible, physical people coming alongside of us and walking with us in this world as we go on this adventure. I think it's one of my favorite things about movies like The Goonies, these ensemble movies where people come together and everybody has a role, everybody has a part. As you watch the movie, you'll see that there is Spanish on the treasure map, and it just so happens that one of the boys knows Spanish. That's awesome. I'm glad he does. There's another kid that falls down a pit, but he's got his pinchers of power, so he's saved. There's another time where you have to play the piano, and there's a girl that just happened to randomly join the group. That's the one earlier that says, but I'm not a Goonie. But she's there, says if she wasn't there, they wouldn't play the piano and they would all die. And every one of these kids has a part like that, a, a, a cog in that wheel of the story that if anyone is taken out, the whole adventure fails. And I love to see that because... I feel like that's really the way it's supposed to be in our spiritual life. That's the way that our walk with Jesus is supposed to be, that we're supposed to do it not on our own, but with people coming alongside of us to join in our adventure because a cog spinning on its own doesn't accomplish anything. We need to be connected to other ones that make the mechanism work. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its parts form just one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. It says that in the church, in the body of Christ, that we are all one that we're all different parts, we're all different pieces, we all play a different part. And that's not just the body here at Venture this morning, not just the body here in Wilmington this meeting at 10 o'clock, but the body worldwide. Uh, last week, Chris mentioned uh, Maria Hall, who is uh, one of our own that's out on an 11th month mission trip, journeying around the world, spending a month in a different country every, every time. Um, well, about... Three weeks ago, Chris got an email from a preacher in southern Romania that was talking about Maria and saying, thank you so much for sending her to us. Thank you so much for pouring into her, for sharing Jesus with her. Thank you for all that you did to help her to get here. And because you did that, you are now having an impact in southern Romania. Because we 
are all working together because we're all one body worldwide trying to accomplish the message of the cross, trying to get through the mission of what Jesus came to do, which was seek and save the lost. We've got to work together. But that doesn't mean we all have the same gifts. That doesn't mean we all have the same abilities. Uh, Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, now if the foot should say, since I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, would it stop being part of the body? Uh, If an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, would it for that reason stop being part of the body? For if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? So it is, we are many parts, but one body. We all work together. We all build on each other to accomplish these great things, just like the Goonies. It takes every one of us working. And I don't know if you've realized that yet. I don't know if you've understood that you have a part to play in the body. Maybe you're here today and you haven't even decided anything more than I'm going to go check out Venture Church this morning and see what that's all about. Well, that's okay. I want to let you know that even though God has placed us all in the body and we're all there and we're all cogs working together, it's not one of those machines that can't use another cog. There's still room for you to join in. All the jobs have not been taken, I promise. There's still stuff for you to do as you join in with the body. You know, it's interesting. Last week, uh, Brian Harris was here, a missionary to Cameroon. He's getting ready to go back. And uh, As we sat at lunch last week, he kept telling us story after story after story about how in Cameroon, if you don't know the exact right person to get a job done, then it's just not going to happen. He talked about his uh, carpenter that he had hired and how the guy had to come back in and fix the bed 15 times and it still wasn't fixed because they didn't pick the right one. And he talked about how he uh, had an issue with his driver's license and with his passport And the government just was dragging their heels and not doing anything. And he was talking about it at church one day. And one of the locals overheard him and said, gotcha, man, no problem. My cousin's in the government. And it was fixed in no no time at all. Because God has such a vision to put us in the place that we need to be at the time that we need to be. So that we can do the job that we were designed to do. So that we can be part of that group and not go through this adventure alone. And guys, I can tell you from my own personal experiences, it's so much easier to overcome obstacles when you've got support than it is to do it by yourself, without a doubt. And so, so we're going to face obstacles, and we're going to overcome obstacles by the power of God and the people that we surround ourselves with. But if you're going to really have a successful adventure, there's one more thing. One more thing that you've got to have that without it, I don't even know that you can consider yourself on an adventure and that is a reason to be on an adventure. You got to have a goal. You got to have a destination. The Goonies destination, the Goonies goal was to find that rich stuff that One-Eyed Willie had left behind so that they could save their houses. So that their bedrooms wouldn't turn into a sand pit. And that's a, that's a pretty good goal. But what is your goal today? Maybe you're here and your goal is uh, just to encourage that person that you came with so that maybe your relationship will grow a little bit. Maybe the goal that you've got is just to get through school and then figure it out. Maybe the goal that you have is to have a nice house or a nice car 
a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, a beautiful wife to raise a, a family. None of those are bad goals. I mean, if your goal is to overthrow the government, that might be a bad goal, but maybe not. Uh, I, I can't talk about politics right now. But I don't know what your goal is. In fact, it's impossible for me to know what the goal is that you have in mind right now, what it is that gets you up in the morning. But the fact that you're here right now tells me that there's a possible goal that's in your mind, that there's a possible goal that, that maybe you have a goal that is having a real lasting relationship with the one true God. Or, or at least learning enough about him so that you can make a decision whether that's something you want to do. Maybe that's your goal. But what I do know is that all of us have a goal of some kind every day in our lives. Sometimes it's just to get through the day. But we've got to have goals. Because without goals, we're just wandering around aimlessly. If you want proof of that, just go to Walmart without a plan. Go to Walmart without the goal of getting in and out as quick as possible. Uh, you will think that you've stepped through a time portal because an hour will disappear and you'll have no idea how. It just, it just does. I guess unless you're working, those of you that work, you know, it doesn't happen that way there, does it? It's all right. Um, but it just disappears. Or, or sit down in front of the computer, turn on the TV, flip on your, your console to play a video game without a goal and see your life just drain away. We've got to have a goal. Yogi Berra, that's the baseball player, not the cartoon, uh, said that if you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up someplace else. And I think that's absolutely true. We're going to end up wandering around aimlessly if we don't have a goal. So, so here's the question I got for us right now. What is the goal that brings us here together today? What is the goal that brings us here to Venture Church? What is the goal of a Christian of someone who has chosen to follow Jesus Christ, what is that ultimate goal for us? The Goonies had a treasure map that led them to their goal. What is it that, that gets us to ours? What is it that, that makes us want to get up in the morning and continue on to face persecutions that have been promised to us? What is our goal I did a lot of research on this because uh, I didn't want to give you any false information. I didn't want to give you something that's like, here's what Patrick says or here's what Venture says. I didn't want to just come up and be cliche and be like, all right, our goal is to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Not that that's bad. I, I think that's very good. But, but I wanted to really give you the goal, the ultimate goal, the end-all, be-all goal of Christianity. So I did a bunch of research. Um, and I found that there's a bunch of different groups of Christians that believe very different things about our ultimate goal should be. Uh, there's one very vocal group on the internet that says that the only goal of a Christian is salvation and getting to heaven. That that's it. As long as you do get to heaven, then you're good. And that just didn't sit right with me. That seemed just selfish, right? You know, oh, oh I'm just going to do this because I'm going to get something out of it. I'm just going to follow Jesus because he, he's going to give me not hell, that sounds awesome. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of heaven. I can't wait to be there. I'm excited about spending eternity praising and worshiping my God, being in the presence of Jesus, talking to those heroes of the faith. But I don't think that's my end-all, be-all goal. I don't think I can just live my life waiting to get to heaven. Because if that was the ultimate goal of Christianity, then what we would do is we would baptize people and then shoot them in the head. If that was our goal, that, that, that's how we would do it. And I don't think it works that way. 
although it's not a bad idea. There's another group, there's another group that says that the goal of Christianity is to be as much like Jesus Christ as possible. And you know what? I, I think that's a noble goal. I, I think that's something that, that we can work with. So let's think about that. Be as much like Jesus as possible. But where does that emulation stop? Where, where do we stop trying to be as much like Jesus as possible? I mean, I've already got a nice beard, so I'm going to leg up on most of you. Um, but my hair's not long, but we don't really know if Jesus' hair was long. Well, I'm not wearing a robe or walking around Palestine and preaching to, I don't know. How can I be as much like Jesus as possible? Where does it, where does it stop? Do you have to go that far, or is it just about wearing a WWJD bracelet? It's just about putting that on and going, all right, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? All right, he would order the, the Big Mac. All right, done. Uh, I'm ready to go. No, I, I don't know. Like, where, where do you begin and end on that? It's such an abstract thought. Be as much like Jesus as possible. Um, then you got the, the Westminster Catechism, which I don't even know really what that is. Somebody that knows what a catechism is later tell me. But the basic idea of that I love because it says the, the end all be all goal of a Christian life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that sounds awesome, doesn't it? To give praise to God, to worship him, and then enjoy him. That sounds like a, a beautiful thing, but it's still, it feels like it's missing something. Like it's not the complete story. So what is it then? What is the ultimate goal of the Christian? What is the end all, be all destination that gets us up in the morning, that gets us out of our chairs, that gets us out in the world, sharing his love, sharing his message, sharing him to the world? What is that end all, be all goal? I'm gonna tell you guys, I rewrote this a dozen times. I thought I figured it out, and I was like, no, that's not right. And as I've worked on it, and I, I preached through it, and as I dug into it, and the more I read, and the more I studied, the more I realized, I, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, last night, about 10.30, on the 12th rewrite, as I'm trying to figure this out, as I've reordered my whole sermon, as I've added in and taken out stories, as I've tried to figure in and point in and push in, I finally found that square hole or square peg that fits in that square hole and it just slid right in. And I was like, why? Why didn't I think of that first? Why didn't I just, it makes so much sense because it's, it's a concept that I learned as a child. Maybe the first concept of Christianity that I was ever taught. And yet my brain had never been struck by it the same way as it was last night. So you guys ready? Do you want to know the ultimate goal of a Christian? The ultimate goal of Christianity, that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, are you ready? Oh, come on, you guys. Are you ready? Have I I built it up enough for you to feel as dumb as I do when I tell you what it is? Because it's so simple. It really is so simple. The ultimate goal of Christianity is love. It's love. I mean, think about it. Without love, there's no chance at heaven. Without Jesus loving us enough to come down and die. No chance. Without love, there's no reason to be Christ-like. It's his love that we're supposed to emulate. It's his love that we're supposed to do. Without love, we cannot glorify God because of our sinful nature. And there's no joy in life. It all comes back to love. And it seems so simple, but it's this huge concept. It's this weighty thing. Love. But that's our ultimate goal. That should be what drives us in our every thought, in our every action, in our every 
decision. Jesus, in the final week of his life, as he's walking into Jerusalem, he gets challenged by the teachers of the law, by the the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And and over and over again, they're challenging him, and he just answers them. Just, you know, oh, oh, that's easy. Here's the answer to that. Oh, that's easy. Let me answer you that one with the question so that you're confused and you look silly instead of me. And then he gets confronted by what the Bible calls an expert in the law. It's in Matthew chapter 22. And it says, an expert in the law came up and says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He's trying to stump Jesus. He's trying to, to break Jesus. He's trying to confuse Jesus. And Jesus doesn't hesitate. Jesus doesn't, doesn't stutter. Jesus doesn't wait. He just bursts out with, oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says the most important thing, the greatest commandment is love. Because think about it. Think about sin. Think about our walk. Think about the bad things that happen in this world. If love was there, you're not going to murder. You're not going to steal. You're not going to kill. You're not going to burn down. You're going to covet and destroy and be jealous. If love is there, you're going to be excited and joyful for the people that are happening and doing around you. Even when you meet the the most heinous of people in this world, your love can still be a bright, shining light. Love is the ultimate goal. And and it's not just Jesus that says it. Paul echoes it in Galatians chapter 5. Right before he gets to the fruit of the Spirit, he's going through and he says, The whole of the law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. That as long as you love your neighbor as yourself, you've got no worries. And whenever I talk about that, I always want to point out my, my definition of neighbor comes from that old BC comic strip. You've heard of that? There was one time the little ant's there and he's in school and he, the teacher says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the ant says, well, I don't live near anybody, so who's my neighbor? And the teacher says, your neighbor is anybody that's not you. Anybody in this whole world that's not you, you should love just like you love yourself which means that you should love yourself as well because it all comes back down to love. And when I finally figured that out, I felt so silly that I had overlooked it. I felt so silly that this thing makes sense and I was trying to do something complicated. I was trying to make other things fit in a hole that was made only for love. It's crazy when you can take something as fun and indulgent as an 80s movie and bring out of it the ultimate truth of Christianity. That it all comes down to love. In the movie, the kids risk their lives and danger after danger to save their houses because they love their houses. The question that I want to leave you with today is, what adventure are you willing to face because of your love for Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for your love, your love that sent your son down to die for us, to save us from our sins, from our mistakes, from our failings. I thank you for 
the love that is in this room right now that, that says that all are welcome and that your past doesn't matter. I thank you for the love that I share with my wife and for my children that I learned from you and your unconditional love. Help us to place that love at the forefront of our thoughts, at the front of our minds every single day with every decision we make. Let our ultimate goal be love. Amen.